Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. We are going to look at, in this audio, the events that occurred after Jesus was crucified on the cross and taken down, his body taken down by Joseph of Arimathea. And we're going to look at the events from that moment until the next Saturday afternoon, from Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon. We'll start in Mark 15, verse 47. Uh, it just because I need to go back one verse in Mark 15 to pick up, and then we'll look at the first eight verses of Mark 16, while we also look at the parallel passages. All right, Jesus has been crucified. We start in Mark 15, verse 47, which says, Now Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were watching where he was placed. Now this is Friday after he was taken off the cross. Mary Magdalene, of course, is the famous Mary of Magdala, the woman whom Jesus drove seven demons out of and who followed him around in his ministry and watched him be crucified. The other Mary is what I call the other Mary. In fact, she's called that in the parallel passage in Matthew 27, verse 61, the other Mary. She is the mother of Joseph, as Mark calls her. And when she's standing there at the crucifixion, she's called the wife of Alphaeus or the wife of Cleophas. Alphaeus and Cleophas are the same name. So her husband was Alphaeus and Cleophas. Her sons are Joseph, as mentioned here, and also she had another son named James. So James and Joseph were her sons. Now we hop over to the parallel passage in Matthew 27, verse 61, and we read Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and that's why I call her the other Mary, because Matthew calls her that. That's the mother of Joseph, also the wife of Alphaeus and Clophus. They were sitting there, seated there, facing the tomb. So they watched where Joseph of Arimathea buried Jesus. Now why were they sitting there? Well, they wanted to observe where the body was laid, because they were wanting to prepare spices and ointments to anoint his body. They were going to go back Sunday after the Sabbath. This is Friday afternoon before the Sabbath, which started at Friday sundown there. They were going to wait until Saturday was over, and actually Sunday morning they were going to go prepare his body for burial. That would be in addition to what Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were doing as they were preparing his body on Friday afternoon. Now sitting, they were seated looking at that tomb, that was a mourning position, and they were mourning, according to John Gill and Adam Clark. Now, mourning was not allowed by Jewish law for a criminal on the cross, but Jesus was off the cross now, so they were not breaking any Jewish law at all. Here's a quote from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. The courage and affection of these holy women cannot be too much admired. The strength of the Lord is perfected in weakness, for here a timid man, that would be Joseph of Arimathea, and a few weak women... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, and there were some other women too. We read in Luke, unnamed women. These women, these few weak women, acknowledged Jesus in death when the strong and the mighty utterly forsake him, the strong and the mighty being Peter and the rest of the apostles. Now, they were facing against, they were sitting over against the tomb, facing against the tomb. How did they know, how did the two Marys know that Joseph had taken the body there? Well, we read in Luke 23, 55, which we're going to turn to in just a minute, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. So they watched the tomb so they could go back on Sunday and finish the, the burial preparations. Now, where was the Virgin Mary while all this was going on? After Jesus had been taken off the cross, she had been probably taken to John's house by now. We read in John 19, verses 26 through 27. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved, i.e. John, standing there, this is while he was on the cross and John and Mary were standing in front of him, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, John, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. And that's why Mary was probably not with the women who were preparing Jesus' body for burial. Now, I just read Luke chapter 23, verse 55. Let me read verse 56. Then they returned, that's Mary, and that's the, the other Mary, and Mary Magdalene, and the other women who had come from Galilee. They returned to their, it says they returned, it means probably they returned their, to their homes, and they prepared spices and perfumes, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So they returned on Friday and rested Friday night all through Saturday, all through uh, Saturday afternoon. Now, the spices and perfumes that they prepared there were yards of cloth that were wrapped around dead bodies and large quantities of spice that were used in preparing a body for burial. In fact, we read in the NIV that 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes were already used on Friday. That was Nicodemus, John 19:39. 
This is actually the Holman Christian Study Bible. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, that's in John 3, famous John 3, 16, uh, for God so loved the world verses there in John 3. It was, it was used in, in addressing Nicodemus. Nicodemus also came bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, enough to bury a king. Jesus was given a kingly burial, burial despite the fact that he was crucified as a criminal. But even with that 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, that wasn't enough. The women got more. They purchased more so they could return after the Sabbath. Now, the fact that they were preparing burial spices for Jesus shows that they really had no hope of Jesus' resurrection. Now, this is despite his teaching earlier that he would rise. And I was surprised. To, I just now looked this up. How many times did Jesus predict that? I found 15 verses of where he told them, his disciples, I'm going to rise again. They couldn't understand that. They had no clue. Here's one example, Mark 9:31. Because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. This is earlier in his ministry somewhere. I forgot where. And there, like I say, there's about 15 other verses that say exactly the same thing. But it was too much of a shock. They were hurting. They were emotionally devastated. They did not believe that Jesus would rise again from the dead. That was against all hope, against all contemplation on their part. Now, as far as resting on the Sabbath, which these women did, this was actually not required by law, according to Adam Clark. All works necessary for the dead were allowed on the Sabbath. The law made exception for working when you had to prepare people for burial, to wash the body, to anoint the body. No problem. You could do that on a Saturday. You couldn't move the limbs of the dead person, but you could do the washing and the anointing. But Jesus was executed as a criminal. The women, and the women might not have known the Jewish law that well, because after all, it's like, the, it's like the United States tax code. Nobody knows what the tax code is. Not even the IRS knows what's in the tax code. It's a miracle anybody. I, I, if, I, if the government wanted to throw everybody in the country in jail for violating the tax returns, they could probably do it because nobody knows what the law is. And, G, and these women probably didn't know what the laws were about preparing dead bodies on the Sabbath. So just to be safe, they took it easy on Saturday, on that Sabbath, especially since Jesus was executed as a criminal. Now let's move over to... Another parallel passage in Matthew chapter 27, verse 62. The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. So now we move from the women on Friday afternoon. Now we go to the chief priest and the Pharisees on Saturday afternoon, which was the Sabbath afternoon. Jesus was killed on the, pre the, the day before on Friday. First of all, it says the day which followed the preparation day, what does preparation day mean? Well, every, whenever you see preparation day, just think it's the day that the Jews prepared for the Sabbath, which is every Friday, every Friday before every Saturday was preparation day. So that would be sunset Thursday to sunset Friday, the day before the Sabbath. My NIV study Bible confirms that. GotQuestions.org confirms that. However, there are some people that want to make a big deal out of saying, no, the preparation day was the preparation of the Passover, which is a special day. And when it was, I don't know. But they get this from John 19:14. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. So they say, see, it wasn't the preparation of the Sabbath. It was preparation of the Passover, which is a different day. And then they get into all this complicated dating controversy. Well, the answer to that is, in my opinion, the fact that the Passover included the Passover proper, which was Thursday, and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which was the seven days after that Thursday. So we're talking about an eight-day period, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's eight days. Well, in that eight-day period, a Sabbath falls. So the Sabbath that is encompassed by the Feast of the Passover slash Unleavened Bread, which was called just Passover, those eight days, there's a special Sabbath in that Passover period. And the Friday before that Sabbath was the preparation day. So it was called preparation of the Passover, but what it means is the prep is short for preparation of the Sabbath, which is in the Passover period. And so we're talking about the day that followed that preparation day. So preparation day is Friday. The day that followed is Saturday. So that's how we know what day it is. It's Saturday. The chief priests and the Pharisees are gathered before Pilate. Now the question is, is why were they there? Well, here, here's what they had done so far in the last two days, Thursday and Friday. This is Saturday, but Thursday and Friday, this is what they had managed to do. They had took counsel on how to put Jesus to death. They had employed Judas, Judas to betray Jesus. They sent a band of soldiers with Judas to arrest Jesus. They suborned false witnesses against Jesus. They moved the people to prefer Barabbas to Jesus so that Barabbas was released off the cross instead of Jesus. They got Jesus condemned to death, and they mocked him while he was on the cross. Not a bad two days' work. 
if you're going to be killing the Son of God. Now, you notice that the, the chief priests, who were usually Sadducees, and the Pharisees usually hated each other. Sadducees and Pharisees mixed like oil and water, but boy, when it came to hating Jesus, they were tight like buddies. They joined together. Now, why did they go to the to the chief to go to Pontius Pilate, who was probably in the Praetorium in Herod's palace? Why did why did they go there? Well, they were scared that the apostles would steal the body. That's what they were worried about, and they wanted to stop that. Now, some people say John Gill, for example, that they were actually afraid that Jesus might actually rise again from the dead, just like he predicted. I find that hard to believe. I don't think these people. I think these people really did believe he was fake. He was not a true Messiah. I don't know how in the world they explained all those incredible miracles he did, but they were so full of hatred and stupidity that I don't think they really thought he would rise again from the dead. I think they were afraid the disciples would come and steal the body and falsely claim a resurrection. We move on to verses 63 and 64 in Matthew 27. And said, this is the chief priest and the Pharisees, said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. Therefore give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people he has been raised from the dead. Then the last deception will be worse than the first. Well, what's the last deception? They were referring to the fact that Jesus would rise from the, from the dead and that that would be a deception. The, the disciples would deceive everybody and say, see, he rose from the dead, but he didn't really rise from the dead, according to them. That would be the, first, the last deception. The first deception was going around claiming that he was the Messiah. Now, essentially, he's talking, the Pharisees and the chief priests are talking to Pontius Pilate, who doesn't really believe that Jesus was a deceiver, but they call him a deceiver. We remember that while this deceiver was still alive, they couldn't even mention his name. They hated him so bad. So they didn't care whether Pilate thought he was a deceiver or not. They were going to call him a deceiver, <laughs> even though they must have known that Pilate didn't agree with them. They never did use Jesus' Jesus's real name. They hated him so bad. Now, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown suspect that the Jews are here displaying a certain uneasiness. They're thinking that maybe they had murdered the Messiah. I don't think so. I think that they really did think he was a deceiver. That's my, my humble opinion. You don't, you don't know what's in their head. You can just guess. But I think they were so full of hatred and bile that they really did think that Jesus was a deceiver. Now, they claimed that Jesus had said, after three days, I'll rise again. This deceiver said that, so you've got to be sure that he doesn't rise again, or he doesn't rise again, or nobody makes it look like he will rise again. Well, when, when did the chief priest hear that Jesus had said that they would rise again? Well, John Gill says they must have heard it from Judas, and then they lied when they told Pilate, we heard that three days he will rise again. They actually, well, I guess it would be a lie. They say, sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, and that's not really accurate if they got it from Judas. They, they're not remembering it firsthand. They're, they are recalling it from what Judas said. So that's not exactly straight, if that's true, that they heard it from Judas. However, they could have deduced it from Jesus' teaching. His teaching was well known. In fact, it came up at Jesus' trial. Matthew 12, verse 44, As Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish three days and three nights, as the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. So that when you say that when he said that he was going to be in the earth three days and three nights, that implies on day four he's going to be out. John 2.19 says this, Jesus answered, Destroy this sanctuary, and I will raise it up in three days. And if you understood Jesus for what he meant, talking about his body, that means he would be coming up from the grave. I think that's probably it, rather than Judas telling Jesus, is that they figured out from, from Jesus' teaching, plus they heard Jesus' defense at the trial, they knew what was going. They knew that Jesus had claimed he was going to rise again from the dead. It was no secret. He, and Jesus had told his disciples that many, many times. It is ironic that the Pharisees and chief priests could remember that Jesus had said he would rise from the dead, but the disciples did not remember. And like I said, it was because they were probably emotionally destroyed by the crucifixion. They certainly didn't act like men who thought Jesus was going to rise. They started acting like men who knew that Jesus had risen when they saw him come out of the after he had come out of the tomb. John Gill says this, quote, bad men have sometimes good memories and good men, bad ones. So the bad men, the Pharisees, remember what Jesus said, ironically, but the good men, the disciples forgot what he said. And again, it's because they were emotionally invested in Jesus's, in Jesus's life and they hated to see him go. Now, they mentioned the tomb, the tomb, to Pontius Pilate. The Pharisees and chief priests said, put a guard on the tomb. They knew where Jesus was by this time. Now, I wonder what they thought about Joseph of Arimathea 
taking Jesus, this criminal, this deceiver, and putting him in his tomb. Probably didn't make Joseph of Arimathea too popular. He was on the Sanhedrin. He was a big shot. But they knew where the tomb was now, so they must have known what Joseph of Arimathea did. Now, and by the way, it's a good thing that Joseph of Arimathea did this, because if Jesus had been thrown in a common criminal's grave, then nobody... And if he had risen out of that criminal's grave, people would say, ah, you don't know that he rose again from the dead. All those bodies in there, you can't distinguish one body from another. But the fact that he was alone in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, a rich man, and he was in a, a tomb where there was no where there were no other bodies, when that tomb was empty, everybody knew, hey, that tomb is empty. Jesus was in there. He's risen from the dead. That would have been the case with a pauper's tomb, a common grave. Now, it's ironic that the Pharisees and the Sadducees the Pharisees and the chief priests were afraid that the disciples, or apparently afraid that the disciples would come and steal Jesus' body because the disciples had all run like little chickens. They were gone except for John who had taken Mary to her house, but all the rest of them had fled, out, fled and were hiding in their houses in Jerusalem and nobody could see them. Now the Pharisees and the chief priests might not have known that, but it is ironic they were worried about something that wasn't, wasn't ever going to happen. Now, by asking Pilate to give his orders, the Jews unwittingly helped prove the resurrection. Because, I mean, you put a guard on the tomb and all of a sudden now the tomb is empty. That's real hard to explain. You put a, you, your own guard on the tomb to keep the disciples from stealing the body, and now the, the tomb is empty. Well, how do you explain that, Jews? Well, they never have been able to explain it. Of course, we know from the story later on, which we will read, that they told they bribed the guards and said, you fell asleep, so the, so the soldiers came and took the body, which is, of course, absurd. How in the world could people roll that big heavy stone away? and get a body out with, with the uh, soldiers, how would that not wake the soldiers up? Not to mention the fact that a Roman soldier falling asleep on guard is instant death. The Romans would have executed him. Those soldiers didn't fall asleep. That was a stupid story. And the Jews apparently repeated that over and over again for years. By the way, the third day says Jesus rise, will rise again on the third day. We've got to remember that the Jews counted a part of a day as a full day. So... Jesus was buried on Friday, that's day one. He stayed in the tomb Saturday, that's day two. He rose on Sunday morning, that's day three, even though he was only there for part of the day Friday, just for a few hours actually on Friday, and only for a few hours on Sunday, but it was still three days. And you also say three days and three nights because that's a, a term that goes together to refer to that whole period. Now let's go to Matthew 27, verse 65. You have a guard of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you do how. So Pilate had given the Jew, Jewish leaders a guard of Roman soldiers there, and the you have either means that you already had use of these soldiers or you got it now. It's not really clear. They might have been the same soldiers that crucified Jesus. They might have been used, being used as a temple guard. doesn't really matter. These soldiers went to guard Jesus' tomb. Now, they already had those soldiers. You wonder why they just didn't send them to go guard Jesus' tomb. Well, it could be the Jews weren't clear as to their authority to use the soldiers as a night watch. They knew that the soldiers could be used to guard the temple and so forth, but maybe not to go out and guard a criminal's tomb. They weren't so sure, so they got their permission from Pontius Pilate. Now, these soldiers that went were probably, according to John Gill, the same four soldiers that crucified Jesus. These Roman troops were used as temple guards who guarded the temple by turns. They would rotate, and these were probably some of the soldiers who were off-duty at the moment, not guarding the temple. Moving on to the, the next verse, Matthew 27, verse 66. Then they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard. The they is the soldiers who went to seal the, the tomb. They sealed the stone. They put a seal on the stone that was in front of the tomb. Now, what seal was that? It could have been Pilate's seal, Pontius Pilate's seal, according to Adam Clark. It could have been the Sanhedrin seal. It doesn't matter. It was sealed. So if the seal was broken, then something that would show that somebody had stolen the body. When, they, when somebody saw that the seal was broken. Now, this seal, ironically, did something. It helped show that the disciples did not steal the body because no disciple would have the guts to break a Roman seal, even the Sanhedrin seal, but especially if it was a Roman seal, no disciple would do that, which makes it hard to explain who broke the seal and how did the body disappear. It was the angels that broke the seal when they rolled the stone away from the t tomb as Jesus walked out of that tomb. Now, as John Gill points out, by the providence of God, the situation was perfect to prove the resurrection. First of all, the body had been laid in a new tomb, quote-unquote new tomb, where no other body had ever been. So if the body left the tomb, the body that left had to be Jesus' body. There could be no confusion that it was another body that was in the tomb that, that disappeared. It was Jesus' body. The tomb was hewn out of rock. 
So there was no access to the tomb except through the door, so the disciples couldn't have gone in the back door or the back way to get the body. A heavy stone was rolled across the door. How could people go, how could disciples go to the stone and roll that stone away with nobody noticing, making all the noise that they would have to make when you got Roman soldiers sitting right across the way watching the tomb? There's no way. As I mentioned, the stone had a seal on it. No disciple would have the guts to break a Roman seal, so that's one more reason why the disciples wouldn't have been there stealing the body. The grave had a Roman guard around it, which provided even more witnesses of the resurrection. And I wonder, as a aside here, I wonder how many of these soldiers later became Christians. They were probably not, because they were bribed to say that they had fallen asleep. We read that in Matthew 28. The Jews bribed them, so they probably didn't become Christians. But they could not confess. They could not say, look, somebody stole the body. And as ironic, it, the, the soldiers also provided security in case somebody, for some reason, might want to disturb Jesus' body. A malicious person might want to steal the body. The Christians could say, hey, see, he's risen, and then a bad guy could then show up with a dead body. Well, that's not a, that, that option is foreclosed because the Jews put a seal on the tomb. Now, the stone that was put in front of the tomb was very large. We read in Mark 16:4. looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away when the women saw the tomb that Sunday morning. So it was a large Now we move from that Saturday afternoon, and we go through Resurrection Sunday, which of course started Saturday night and went through Sunday morning and, and up to Sunday night. Jesus, after he rose again from the dead, he remained at or near Jerusalem for a week, and then he probably left at once for Galilee. And in that month that followed, we cannot fix the exact time of the events that occurred in Galilee but just at the end of 40 days, we find him back in Jerusalem. So now we're going to look at the resurrection, the appearances, and the ascension of Christ that took place in that period. We will start in Matthew 28, verse 1. And now we turn to the events of Resurrection Sunday. We've gotten past Saturday, Saturday afternoon, when the chief priests and scribes go to the Pontius Pilate to get a seal put on the tomb and a guard put on the tomb, a soldier's guard. We go to Matthew, verse chapter 28, verse 1, and we read this. After the Sabbath on the first day of the week, as the first day of the week was dawning, after the Sabbath, Sabbath the Saturday, the first day of the week was dawning, Sunday started on Saturday night by our reckoning, and so then you go all the way through the night, and just as it starts to get light, the day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. The other Mary is the mother of James and Joseph, the wife of Cleophas and Alphaeus. We're going to see that at least five women went to that tomb. We have to put several verses together to do that. Well, here's the first two right here, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Now, I say there's at least five. There might have been more, and it's very, very difficult to exactly determine exactly who was in that band of women that saw Jesus' Jesus's empty tomb first. Okay, I'm going to assume four women that we're certain of, Mary Magdalene and Mary are mentioned right here in Matthew Salome is mentioned in Mark chapter 16, verse 1, and Joanna is mentioned in Luke 24, verse 10. So there's four of them right there. Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, the wife of Cleophas, those two Marys. And then we've got Salome, who is probably James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of Thunder, their mother. Or Salome would be the wife of Zebedee. And then Joanna, who is the wife of Jesus, Herod's steward. So those four, and then we also see in one of the parallel passages, which is in Luke chapter 24, verse 10, it says, it mentions other women. Now, if one of the other women was Salome, there's still another unnamed woman whose name no other gospel writer records. All right, so that's the fifth one right there. We don't know her name, and there might have been more. So I just tell you that we can't be sure, exactly sure who was there on that first day of the week to see Jesus' tomb. And I'll tell you another thing on the events of Resurrection Sunday. There's a lot of people moving in a lot of different places. You got the apostles holed up in a house. You got Mary Magdalene broke away from the other group. You got the group of women. You got Jesus. You got angels. And so all to peace when, when who saw whom at what time can be difficult. There's different ways to harmonize the four gospels. I'm going to use Robinson's harmony because I suppose it's just as good as anybody's. Now the scripture in Matthew 28 verse 1 says that the Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see or to view the sepulchre. They'd already seen the sepulchre. They knew where it was. They'd done that on Friday afternoon. But what they were doing is they wanted to see if they could get into the tomb to anoint the body with spices and ointment. So they knew where the tomb was, but now they wanted to go further. And, of course, they got a problem because there's a soldier's guard there watching. 
Luke 24 verse 1 says this, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. Mark 16, 1 through 2, which we're going to look at in just a minute. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, that's the other Mary, and Salome bought spices so they could go and anoint him. So that was the purpose. They were going to try to, 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 to prepare his body for, for, uh, for a proper burial. Now remember, they couldn't buy their spices on Saturday. They probably didn't have enough time on Friday to buy it. They might have done it Saturday night after the Sabbath was over. At some point, they had bought spices for the burial. We now turn to Mark chapter 16, verse 1, and we read this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they could go and anoint him. Well, why did the women buy spices? They already saw that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had put all kinds of spices on Jesus already. He had plenty of spices. as well as because they wanted to show him love and devotion, and that was the way that they could do it. Now we arrive at... Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday morning before sunrise. These events that I'm going to read about here, Matthew 28, 2 through 4, take place before the women show up at the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Let me switch from the King James to the Holman Christian Study Bible. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. Now, as the NIV Study Bible says, it is clear from parallel accounts that the events of verses 2 through 4 occurred before the women arrived. We can see here in, for example, Luke chapter 24, verse 2, they found the stone rolled away. It doesn't say they saw the angels rolling the stone away. They just found the results of what the, angels, the angel did. The stone was rolled away. Mark 16, verses, verse 4 says, Looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away, but there's no mention of them, of them having seen the angels. Now, there was an earthquake. Matthew is the only gospel who mentions both earthquakes associated with the death and resurrection of Jesus. You remember when Jesus was crucified, there was, a, there was a, an earthquake. Matthew 27:51. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, and the rocks were split. Three verses later in verse 54, Matthew 27, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, this man really was God's son. So there was an earthquake when Jesus was killed and there's an earthquake at his resurrection. Now that earthquake, in my opinion, was probably just a local shaking of the ground near the tomb. That's what John Gill says. Could have been bigger than that, but I think that's what it was. Notice that it says the ground shook because the angel had come and rolled back the stone. It shows there's a, a connection between the physical and the spiritual. You've got these, physical, these spiritual agents, angels, doing stuff in the natural world, rolling a stone back. And there was uh, physical consequences of that. The earth shook. Now, rolling back that stone was not an easy thing for a human being to do because it was a huge stone. Mark tells us it was a large stone, and it was like a round disc. I don't know, maybe a foot wide. It had a little trough that it rolled down the hill on the side of the door to the tomb the hill went up the trough went up and the stone rolled down in front of the of the door and to get it out you had to probably had to push it back uphill to get it out but at any rate it was hard to do and we i wonder why jesus didn't why we needed the angel why god needed the angel to open that door jesus could have just pushed the stone back and rolled it back i would think being because he was glorified i don't know but at any rate that angel was sitting there and he scared the soldiers to death i'm sure they were sitting across the way watching the tomb supposedly guarding it and then here's this guy in shining luminescent clothes sitting there very casually on the stone and of course the guards i'm sure heard the earthquake and they're saying oh something's going on here they might have had a little guilt conscience because they might have thought you know we might have killed a god we might have killed the son of god maybe he really was god's son like he was claiming to be now, some people say that they were sitting there to overawe the Roman guards to keep them away from going in and interfering with anybody who wanted to see the body, like the women. And the angels scared the blazes out of them. I think they, when they saw, they headed back to Pontius Pilate to, to tell what had happened. They probably weren't there when the women finally arrived. Some people say, Jameson Fawcett and Brown says that the angels were there to do honor to the risen Lord. Kind of like an angelic bodyguard. This is my idea. It could be the angels were there so that anyone who might come to Jesus' grave could be told. He's not here. He's risen, which is exactly what happened. People showed up later. Some of these women showed up later and were told he's gone. And, and the angel needed to be there to do that. And by the way, when it says an angel here, there is a big harmonization deal about 
angels because Matthew says there's an angel and John says in one place there's two angels and Matthew says there's one angel and Mark says there's two angels if I got that straight yeah so I'm going to save the harmonization of the one angel and two angel angels later because there's so many different times that the gospel writers could be talking about. They could be talking about Mary Magdalene, who was the only person at the tomb. Maybe she saw when she saw two angels. That was a different time than when all the women were there and so forth. So we'll hold that. And notice, by the way, before I get into that reconciliation, that Matthew, excuse me, Mark, as well as Matthew here, say there's one, it says that there's an angel. It doesn't say they weren't, there was only one angel. It just says there is an angel. So he's focusing on the one that moved the stone, probably. That's be one way you could reconcile it. Uh, just because you say there's an angel there, that uh, doesn't mean that there weren't two angels there. That doesn't contradict on itself. But we'll try to reconcile that later. Now it says in Matthew, as we go on to Matthew 28:3, his appearance, the angel, was like lightning, and his robe was as white as snow. And generally when you see angelic beings or the Son of Man, Jesus, like in these near-death experiences, you see lightning, Mount of Transfiguration, lightning, white. White stands for purity. Lightning stands for power and glory. Matthew 28, verse 4, the guards were so shaking from fear of him that they became like dead men. And this is remarkable because these were hard Roman soldiers. They were used to seeing killing and mayhem on the field of battle. And they were scared out of their gourds. They may have had a guilty conscience. As I said earlier, they may have thought they were about to receive divine retribution because of their part in the crucifixion of Jesus. They might have thought that someone had gotten the body and they would be responsible. Something's going on over there with these angels. Maybe the angels are somehow letting the body get away. And, of course, if the body gets away, they're probably going to get killed by their Roman. I don't know if they'd get killed, but they're going to get punished by their Roman authorities. Now I'm going to turn back to Mark chapter 16, verses 2 through 8. And actually, I'm going to go back. I've already mentioned verse 1 in connection with who the women were that showed up. Mark gives, Mark says the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, showed up. But uh, I'm going to look at another verse 1 again to deal with the harmonization problem. So I'll start with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they could go and anoint him. Now, the harmonization problem is this. That verse makes it sound like when Saturday was over, when the Sabbath was over, it was Sunday, and then that's when they bought spices so they could take it to see Jesus early Sunday morning. In other words, maybe Saturday night at sundown, when the shops opened again so they could buy spices, they bought spices and took it into Jesus. Well, that's well and good, but there's another verse that sounds like the spices were bought on Friday. Luke chapter 23, verses 54 through 56 says this. It was the day of preparation, which we know was Friday, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how the body was laid. We've already mentioned that. They followed Joseph of Arimathea to see where the body was buried. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. That sounds like it's still on Friday, the same Friday they saw where the body was buried. On the Sabbath they rested, according to the commandment. So Luke 23, verses 54 through 56, they bought the spices on Friday. And in Mark 16, it says they bought the spices on Sunday when the Sabbath was over. Well, how do we harmonize that? Of course, if you're a liberal, you say the Bible's not true, and you go your merry way, and then you deny Christ, and then you create your own eternal situation by not even attempting to harmonize the Scripture. Here are some options to solve. First of all, the word bought in the Greek is agorasan, and that can be translated as heiress, but it also can be translated as pluperfect. So if you translate it as a pluperfect instead of the heiress, here's what you get. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and, and Salome, had bought spices, had bought pluperfect, which like in English would be past perfect. And Salome had bought spices so they could go and anoint him. So they had bought spices on Friday and they anointed him on Sunday. Okay, that does it, no problem. In fact, the King James translates it that way. The King James says, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, Mary Magdalene, had bought sweet spices. So that translate, that deals with it. But if you translate it the way the Holman Christian Study Bible does, which makes it sound like there's a conflict, there's really not a conflict because Mary Magdalene and the other women, they could have tried to start buying f spices on Friday. The shot, they didn't have a lot of time because Jesus was taken down, what, 
at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The Sabbath started that night at 6. That's three hours. They might not have had time to go to the shops to get all the spices, so they might have started buying some spices on Saturday, then, then on Friday, excuse me, and then when the shops opened up again on Saturday night, they went out and bought the rest of the spices, and there's no contradiction at all. Let's go on to verse 2. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, that's Resurrection Sunday morning, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They, verse 3, they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? They were going to try to put spices on Jesus' body, and they were worrying how they were how they were going to get into the tomb. Why were they doing this? Well, they wanted to preserve the body, as was the custom, stop the body from smelling bad. The NIV Study Bible points out this. They said, the, the NIV Study Bible says, the women came to deal with a corpse, not an empty tomb. They weren't expecting that. They were expecting Jesus to be dead. Now, they knew the stone was there because they had seen it placed there by Joseph of Arimathea, Luke 23, verse 55. The women who had come with him, with Jesus from Galilee, followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. So they saw the bearing of Jesus and the rolling of the stone. So they were wondering, well, that was a big stone Joseph put Joseph of Arimathea put in front of the tomb. How are we going to get it off? Now, what they hadn't seen, probably because they were away, they went back home on the Sabbath to rest. And on the Sabbath, on Saturday, the Roman soldiers sealed the stone, and the soldiers were sent to guard the sepulcher. They didn't know that. Now, if the women had known that, they probably wouldn't have bothered to go back to the tomb. They figured, we'll never get there because of the Roman soldiers and because of the seal. Now, what were they worried about, about who was going to roll the stone away? Well, it was so heavy. Some people say that they might have worried about being defiled by the law by touching the stone because it was a gravestone. I don't think so. I think they were mainly worried about how heavy that thing was. Now, the angel in verse 7 here in Mark 16, the angel says, well, let me, I haven't read this to you yet. Let me read this. Verse 4, looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. The angels had done that before the sun had come up when it was still dark. As dawn was approaching and the women had not got there yet. Verse 5, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. That right side is a tomb that only Mark gives us. The young man dressed in a long white robe, of course, is an angel. And and you have to distinguish now. It might have been the same angel, but this is a, he's in a different place. The one before sunup, the angel was sitting on the stone. Here, this angel is sitting on the right side of the tomb on the inside. Because they had entered the tomb in verse 5. When they entered the tomb, then they saw the young man dressed in a long white robe. All right, the women were amazed at alarm in the verse 5. Verse 6, don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. Now, Nazarene is a term of opprobrium often used by the Jews because Nazareth was sort of a dumpy town and it didn't have a lot of status. But the angel didn't mind calling Jesus Jesus the Nazarene. He has been resurrected. He is not here. See the place where they put him. That's for evidential purposes. They look at here. Look at the tomb, ladies. There's nobody there. Verse 7, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Now, this mention of Peter is the only one of the parallel passages that does mention Peter. And it's interesting because Mark got all of his details from Peter in order to write his gospel, all of his materials, and Mark mentions Peter. Why would the angel especially single out Peter among all the disciples? Good speculation. Peter had recently, just a few days before, three times denied Jesus. He's probably grief-stricken and just heart-sick to probably just stricken to his core, probably can hardly breathe. And these women are going to tell Peter, hey, he's alive. He's not dead anymore. He's come to life again. He's been resurrected. That would really, really, really be a blessing to Peter. All right, verse 7, go and tell, the angels tells the women, go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Jesus had told them to do that at the Last Supper or, or on the way out to Gethsemane from the Last Supper. He had told them, to go to meet him at Galilee after he was risen from the dead. Of course, they didn't really believe he was going to be risen from the dead, so it might have kind of dropped their, slipped their minds. But the angel is going to get them reminded by the women, hey, get out of Jerusalem and go to Galilee. You will see him there just as he has told you. Verse 8, so they went out, the women went out and started running from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. I can imagine that was one of the most shocking things they'd ever seen in their life. One little point before I go on. I was thinking to myself, I haven't read anything on this, but how did Matthew in chapter 28, verses 2 through 4, how did Matthew know that there was an angel of the Lord 
sitting on the stone. It happened before dark, before the women got there. This is my speculation. The soldiers who saw it and got scared to death said, For fear of him, the watchers did quake. In the King James, the soldiers became as dead men, shaking. I'm sure they ran back and told Pontius Pilate what happened, and the word got out. People started talking. Oh, my gosh, they saw angels at the tomb, and the tomb is empty. Let's let's turn now to Matthew 28, verses 5 through 8. Pick up a few extra details here. Verse 5. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. That's a little extra detail. Don't be afraid. It's a common thing when you see an angel to be afraid, as we see often in the scriptures, like Daniel, like John, the book of Revelation. The angels continue, because, the angel continued, because I know you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. Well, how did the angel know that? Well, does he have supernatural knowledge? Well, probably it's obvious. The women showed up with all the spices. You know, it doesn't take divine omniscience to know why those women were there. He says, verse 6, he is not here for he has been resurrected just as he said. Now, when did he say he was going to be resurrected? This is interesting because it's everywhere in the Gospels that Jesus had predicted his resurrection. I was surprised I recently did a search on that and was surprised how many times he had told the disciples that he was going to rise on the third day and they just didn't believe him. Luke 9:22, the Son of Man must suffer many things to be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised the third day. Luke 9:31, they appeared in glory and were speaking of his death, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Well, that was his death, not his resurrection. Luke 9:44, let's see, that's another crucifixion. Let me find one that says, here's a resurrection one. Luke 18:32 through 33. He will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on. And after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. And I've got a lot more where that came from. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Lots of verses that say that they were supposed to, uh, that he was going to be resurrected after he was crucified. He told them specifically to go in Galilee sometime after the, uh, and I'm speaking from memory here, it was either the Lord's Supper on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, now, let's talk about the women who saw Jesus. Remember I said there were at least five. The two Marys, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the other Mary, wife of Alphaeus, Clophus, father of James and Joseph, a mother of James and Joseph. Then there's Salome, the mother of James and John, the son of Zebedee, the wife of Zebedee, Salome. And then there was Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the steward's Herod, and then some other unnamed women, at least one other unnamed women. These women deserve to be the first witnesses they had served Jesus during his lifetime. They did not scatter at his death like certain of the apostles did, like all of them did except for John. They came to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, which means they risked opprobrium at least, if not arrest. I'm not sure what the Jews would have done to him if they had found him doing what they were doing. The disciples didn't go back to the tomb. Now, it's true the disciples might have been in more danger than the women were because the Jewish authorities might have said, ah, they're just women, leave them alone. But they might not have. They might have said, these women are going to steal the body. They're going to spread this rumor. And on the other hand, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea risked an awful lot by burying him in a rich man's tomb, in Joseph's tomb, and anointing his body. And Nicodemus stood up for him in the Sanhedrin even earlier when Jesus was alive. So, I mean, you know, the men did some, some men did some brave things. But, of course, Nicodemus appeared to him at night, not in the daytime, so he wouldn't get caught. So, you know, these women went out there, and they were taking a chance. So they deserved to be the first witnesses. Really, they really do. And here we pick up another detail in Matthew 28. The angel says, fear not, because when you see an angel, you tend to fear. And the angel tries to settle their spirits. Now we have a little problem here in verse 6. The angel t- tells the women that Jesus had been resurrected. But when Mary Magdalene peeled off from the women and went to see the apostles who were holed up, she told them, somebody stole the body. Why did she do that when the angel said he's been resurrected? Well, Gleason Archer, the famous Old Testament scholar, said that Mary Magdalene was so upset she couldn't take in the import of the angel's words. She was just emotionally stricken by all of what had gone on, and she didn't really understand that the, that Jesus had actually been resurrected. And, of course, Jesus later appeared to her individually, and that convinced her. That's perfectly reasonable, in my humble opinion. There's another way to reconcile that, is Mary Magdalene might have left immediately upon seeing the rolled away stone, and she might not have been there when the angel showed up with the other to talk to the other women. Either way, that one's easy to reconcile. All right, a little detail here in verse 5 of Matthew 28. It says, the angel told the women, the women, the Greek doesn't have the the in it, by the way, it could be an angel told the women, but at any rate, it's not clear which angel. Is it the angel that moved, rolled away the stone? Is it the angel that sitting to the right side of the tomb or is it one of the two angels that is mentioned in in 
Luke and John, I think it is, Luke and John, uh, it's not clear. It doesn't really matter. Matthew 28, verse 7 says this, Then go quickly and tell his disciples, this is the angel speaking to the women, He has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. Now, this would give the women credibility. They're going to tell the disciples something that Jesus had already told the disciples. Matthew 26, 32. This is after the Last Supper and on the way to Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. It doesn't say exactly where it is if you look at the context, but Matthew 26, 32 says this, but Jesus is speaking to his apostles. But after I have been resurrected, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So if the women show up and say, the angel said, go on to Galilee, that would jog their memories and say, hey, that's just what Jesus told us a couple nights ago. These women must know what they're talking about. Now, why would Jesus pick Galilee as a strategic place to send the disciples? Well, first of all, most of Jesus' disciples were from there, and he meant to show himself to those disciples. 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says this, Then he, Jesus, appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. That was up in Galilee. So he had disciples up there. Most of the 12 were from there, too, uh, also. Second reason, the women, well, I just said that. The second reason is the disciples were from there, but also the women were from there, too. So it would be, it's natural going back to your home base. Also, leaving Jerusalem and going up to Galilee, Jesus and his disciples would be away from the persecuting Jews, who you, you know if they found Jesus walking around, they're going to try to kill him again, not to mention his disciples. Also, they could go back up north and take up their jobs again so they could support themselves before they started preaching the gospel after the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. Moving to Matthew 28, verse 8. So, departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Mark doesn't mention the great joy. He mentions the fear. But Matthew mentions the great joy. So they were excited. They were afraid, but they were also extraordinarily happy. Instead of the Lord being murdered, he's alive. Yeah, yeah, it's just unimaginable how much joy that was. They ran to tell the disciples the news. Now, when they got there, this is what happened in John chapter 20, verse 2. Now, I say they. This is when Mary Magdalene got there. She probably peeled off. It depends on how you harmonize this, but it, she probably peeled off from the rest of the women. But notice in John 20, verse 2, it says this. So she, Mary Magdalene, ran to Simon Peter and said to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. And that, of course, sent Simon Peter and John running to the tomb. We'll see that later. But Mary Magdalene didn't really believe that Jesus had been resurrected. She thought somebody had taken the Lord out of the tomb. She, As I said before, she probably had been taken off before the angels had told the women, hey, he's been resurrected. Or she was so emotionally distraught she didn't remember what the angels said. But at any rate, that's what she told the disciples. All right, let's turn to Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 8, to see if we can pick up any more details from the parallel account in Luke. Luke says it was very early in the morning. I assume just as the sun was rising, this means that the angel had rolled back the stone while it was dark, and Jesus himself had resurrected from the dead before it was light. So he was he was resurrected at night. Now, the women, the women had started out, it was dark. It was so early in the morning that it was dark. John 20, verse 1 says this, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Now, it showed great courage, by the way, for Mary Magdalene to come there early. She apparently came different, separately from other women, perhaps. She went out alone without a male accompaniment at dark. So she arrived at dark while it was still dark, according to John 20, verse 1. The other women arrived at early dawn, Matthew 28, verse 1. I've already read this, so I'll read it again. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. So again, I, it's not clear to me whether Mary Magdalene went alone or whether she went with the other women. I don't, I don't think it's you can tell either way, but it sounds to me like Mary Magdalene got there while it was still dark, and the other Mary got there right when the sun was coming up. Now, the stone was rolled away, as we see in Luke chapter 24, verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, why did they put those stones in front of the tomb? Well, they did it to keep animals out, to keep from vandalizing the body. But, of course, in this case, it was to keep people from stealing the body because the Roman soldiers had been sent there by the Pharisees. Now, Luke 24 says when they were perplexed about that stone being rolled away, nobody in there. 
Suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. Two men, those are the angels, dazzling clothes, they're, they're angels. The women were terrified, bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead, asked the men. All right, now we have the two angels. So now I'm going to talk about that. In John 20, verse 12, we also see a report of two angels. She saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet. That's Mary Magdalene. Now, you've got different people. Like In this case, it's all the group of women probably standing there perplexed. Mary Magdalene already have taken off to see the disciples. So she might not have seen those two angels there standing there. She saw two angels sitting, one at the head and one at the foot of where Jesus had been laid. That was when she came back after she had separated from the women and then came back and looked by herself. So you see here, you're seeing different aspects and different angles of perspective of people who would, who were recording the events. These the Gospels were not written in cahoots with one another. They didn't coordinate the message. They just wrote what people saw and reported. So the NIV study Bible says it's not strange that Matthew mentions one man. Excuse me, Mark mentions one young man. And here in Luke and John we have two because often only the spokesman is noted when there are two figures. The accompanying figures are not noticed. The women, it says they were perplexed in verse 4. This shows that they had no thought of a resurrection. The thought was the furthest thing from their mind, and yet they were convinced by the evidence, as were the other apostles. And this is one more argument for the, the powerful evidential argument for the resurrection. These people were defeated. They thought Jesus was dead. They were miserable, and all of a sudden they went out risking their lives spreading the gospel. Why? Because they knew he had risen. Going back to the uh, the reconciliation problem, the fact that the angels were standing here and sitting with Mary Magdalene, quoting the NIV, or referring to the NIV study Bible, postures and words are reported differently by the four Gospels. They often change in the course of events, as one writer reports at one time, another at another time. Well, actually, that's me. That's not the NIV study Bible. I'm saying that. This does not mean the accounts are contradictory. Of course not, unless you are a heretical liberal who wants to damage the faith of little ones. All right, John chapter 20, verse 1 says this, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Now, let's talk about this dark thing. Mark 16, 2 says they came at sunrise. Well, here's some options to reconcile that, because sunrise is not dark. The NIV study Bible says the women came separately. Mary Magdalene came first at dark, and the rest of the women came as the sunrise came up. Meant to me that's the easiest way to reconcile it. The NIV study Bible and John Gill come up with another harmony. John means that Mary Magdalene came from home while it was still dark. She came to the tomb early while it was still dark. In other words, she left her house while it was still dark and came to the tomb. She arrived at the tomb after sunrise, and so Mark reports that she was with the other women at sunrise. So either way, she might have she might have come separately and gone early, or she might have come with the other women. I, I said just recent, just a minute ago that it's not clear whether they were separate or not. Now, the fact that they went in that garden tomb means that they probably asked for permission from Joseph to enter the garden. They knew who owned the tomb because they had seen that on Friday afternoon, so they probably asked for permission to get in there. And ladies and gentlemen, we have finished with this long account of the women at the tomb and the resurrection of Jesus. I hope you enjoyed this audio. We'll take it up next audio as we see how the apostles react to the report of the resurrection. 